How many of you have ever sat and read an entire book of the Bible before in one sitting? It's a discipline kind of sacrificial sort of like. It's, it's hard to do that, right? But I'm hoping that if you're like me, as you go through this book, there's parts where you're like, I don't remember that at all. But then there are parts where you're like, I remember this, and God spoke to me about this. And so that's, that's why we go through what we do. And so I'm hoping that you're blessed by that. I know it's a challenge. I'm going to cover the rest of these verses and do it kind of quickly because I know we've gone way over what's normal. And, you know, I know that Joshua and Lizzie are still in service with the kids, so I don't want to take too long. But the rest of this is Paul's closing words. This is how Paul closes out the letter. And it's all going to be focused on, here's what we're praying for concerning you. And that's useful to us because Paul could say the same thing to our little church. This is what Paul would pray for us. So as we read these, let's reflect for our context, for our church. This is the kind of thing that Paul would pray for us. So the first thing is starting in verse 7 and going through verse 10 is that we do no wrong. In verse 7, now we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we receive, we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. And this we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord God gave me for building up and not for tearing down. So he prays that the church doesn't sin. Also, in spite of the apostles' reputation, what he's saying is even if our reputation has been dragged through the mud by these false teachers, even then I pray that you wouldn't be stumbled by that and that you wouldn't fall into sin. So his prayer is that they, as a church, would not fall into sin. And again, Paul points out that he'd rather be harsh and severe in letters so he doesn't have to be in person. We saw that a few times in this letter. He repeats it here. And notice also in verse um, 10, God gave Paul authority for what? For building up and not for tearing down. And this is a good point just to know about Christian authority in the church. Too often when people have an authority in the church, whether they're called like an elder or a deacon or a pastor or whatever, too often that becomes a point of like that means, you know, they're in control and they're in charge and like, even though, yes, God has committed that to them to, to care for the sheep, um, the view that Paul has, which is the view every leader should have, is our authority is given to build up, not to tear down, not to dominate. And it should remind us of other passages like First um, Peter 5, when Peter says to the elders, I exhort the elders among you, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness not lording it over them, but providing, but proving to be examples to the flock. And also Paul said the same thing to the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Paul told them to be on guard for the flock, protect them against bad doctrine. But then he says, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, reminding the elders, these aren't your people. Christ purchased them with his blood. He died for them and they're his people. You're just shepherding over them. Be on alert. And so the pattern among the apostles who had all authority was that it was a servant kind of leadership. Humility with tears and a recognition that believers are God's people, not their people. 
So in this church, even though we're going to talk about what it means to belong to a church in a few weeks, that doesn't mean that you're suddenly my people. You're God's people. The, the idea of membership has to do with like what is the church you've decided to go through life with, but that doesn't mean you're mine. I have no say over you. It's like, and I'm not going to, like the whole loyalty thing where if somebody leaves your church, they're like cast out and you know they're no longer part of our, we're all sheep. We're all, like Christ is the chief shepherd. And so when you go from church to church, that's why we still keep in touch with people that have left our church because they're still God's children. They're still our brothers and sisters. Um, it's not about, you know, like claiming people for yourself or building your own kind of platform. It's, it's recognizing, like Paul does here, like in humility, God gave certain people authority for building up the church, not for tearing it down, not for causing division. Okay, so now Paul prays, of course, they don't sin, and he goes on to say some more things in verse 11. Rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Briefly, rejoice means to be happy, to celebrate. Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Notice that Paul doesn't say, fix everything in your life so you can be happy. He says, regardless of your situation, now rejoice which means in the midst of whatever struggle you're in, rejoice. He doesn't say fix it all first so that it's easy to rejoice. He just says rejoice. The next part, be made complete. Um, this word is also translated in certain places, fully trained in Luke 6.40, or to be prepared in Hebrews, or to be equipped also in Hebrews. So the idea here being that he wants them to be built up, to be fully trained, to be complete. He also says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 that he wants the church to be made complete in the same mind. So the idea here, he doesn't say make yourself complete. He says be made complete. It is a work of God. Notice back in verse 9, I think it was, when he said that he was praying that you be made complete and then he goes on to say, hold on, I'm getting myself mixed up here. Where are we? Well, that's right, yeah. So in verse 11, he says, be made complete. But in verse 9, he said, we pray that you be made complete. So he never says, make yourself complete, fix yourself. It says, I'm praying for you that you'll be made complete, and now I'm ordering you to be made complete. So either way, it's a work of God, and it's a, it's a participatory work where even though Paul prays for us to be made complete, we have to also be being made complete through praying with God and allowing God to work in our life, being built up. And it's also not just at the individual level, but the church level, and it could remind you Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about God give the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of Man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men but speaking the truth in love. So the idea, he wants us to be made complete, to be fully trained, to make progress in our faith as a church. And be comforted. 
This should point back to the first chapter, which we read today, so you'll be familiar with it. When, which, so uh, my mom read that part about, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. So we're going to be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort we received, basically. So whatever you're going through, allow God to comfort you, so you can then comfort others. And so he says again here, be comforted. And then the last part, be like-minded and live in peace. So like-minded refers again to unity. It's been a real issue in Corinth. They've had a lot of disunity, and Paul's saying be like-minded. Now I would say the health of a church often depends on how like-minded the people in that church are. And I don't necessarily mean every, every fine point of doctrine. I think there's the foundational things you have to agree on as a church, like the gospel, that sort of thing. And then there are secondary issues where you can have some disagreements and you can still be like-minded. I think like-minded has more to do with when you're in a church being unified in your sense of what is God? What has God called Christians to be on the earth? What has God called our church to be in our community? And you're like-minded about that kind of mission of like, this is the vision, this is the mission, and we as a church, we're like-minded about this. And he's saying to them, as a church, do this. Be like-minded. Be saying the same thing. Live in peace. Um, that's said a couple of times. Also, Hebrews twelve fourteen. pursue peace with all men. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And when you do that, it says here, when you do that, according to this verse, the God of love and peace will be with you. So we are to pursue peace. We're not supposed to be pursuing arguments with people, pursuing debates with people, getting into arguments online with people. We're not supposed to be considered just aggravators as Christians. There's a time to fight for the faith, but we shouldn't be primarily characterized or categorized as those who like to go out and just argue with people. Live in peace. Okay, greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do this today in our culture that often. Some girls still kiss one another on the cheek or whatever. Um, dudes seem to do handshakes or high fives or whatever. But the idea is to greet one another affectionately. That's the idea behind this. And not not dispassionately, not apathetically. And I think that we, as a church, do this well. I always feel like on Sunday when we, everyone comes in, we're genuinely happy to see each other. And we're saying hi to one another, and how was your week, and what's going on? There's a genuine kind of affection. That's what Paul's talking about. In some churches, you don't have that. Especially in big churches, it's hard to keep that because people tend to like to come in and sit in the back and, please don't bother me, I'm just doing my own thing here, and when it's over, I'm going to leave right away. But in a church this size, you can't get away with that. You can't come hide in the back and no one talks to you. Even Malik, who's in the back, we say hi to him. He smiles back. Right? You can't get away with, this isn't like a, a dark, dim-lit room where you can sit in the back and no one knows you're there. No, he says, greet one another affectionately. So I'm not going to kiss you all, but we are supposed to say hi. And it says, I'm glad to see you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're here. Okay, final verse, verse 14. This is Paul's benediction. It has been said this is his most full form of any benediction he's given. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It also shows the Trinity in this verse. Paul is basically blessing them with every part of the Godhead. The Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord, love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Grace comes first because it's only by the grace of God that you can know the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
So it comes first. And it's Paul's hope that we stand in this grace, in this love of God, and in this fellowship or this participation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works in us, who comforts us, who, guide, who leads us, guides us, and also binds us as a family and gives us gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the end. Let's pray.